when you first got to the varsity football team at Garden High School, who was that first person to light you up and welcome you to the varsity? It was it was my neighbor, Joe Charles Cup. He was a couple years older than me. Uh, we we moved to the house that I lived in through my high school career I, when I was eight years old, and he was the first person I met. We lived a couple of miles out of town. And, man, he was my best friend, my hero. And we were doing like a seven-on-seven pass drill, and he just completely KO'd me. It was funny. It was it was really hilarious. And then it was uh, preceding what's going on today, if I remember correctly, which I'm sure I'm enhancing. He Not only did he declete me, then he just walked right over the top of me back to the huddle. So it was, it was humiliating and awesome at the same time. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy Alright, welcome back to another brand new episode of the Team Player Podcast This is episode number 93 Again, we're approaching 100 episodes So I, I said, hey, I'm going to go back through my coaches And, and the, the coaches that made a difference in my life this was the first man I ever met when I stepped foot on campus at Austin High School. He, he was my freshman head football coach at the time, uh, ignited or you know, really even enhanced my passion for football, which I already had coming in and made me yeah. just yearn to keep going to become a varsity player for the Austin Bulldogs. He was also the longtime head baseball coach, again, for my alma mater, the Fort Bend Austin Bulldogs, and now he's still at it. He's coaching linebackers and receivers in football, freshman basketball, and JV baseball for the Whitefish Bulldogs. It's my honor to welcome in my coach, Randy Ursery. Uh, it's a, it's an honor to be with you, James. Uh, you know, you're the. I, I just I don't know who all's going to watch this, but I just want to say that right now you're one of only three alumni that have ever visited me here. So, you know, I'm I'm. Uh, you, you got you a probably, special place with me. And I would also say that I'm not sure how much I enhanced your love for the game because I remember you and your dad coming to every football game at Mercer Stadium your whole your whole life. It didn't matter yeah. who was playing. You guys were there watching the games. And I was there with my son as well uh, growing up. So I understood and related to that. No doubt about it, Coach. And, you know, I'm one of those kind of people, you know, you probably thought when I said I was going to come visit you, you're like, okay, everybody just says that they'll come visit, but I, I took right. you up on it and we had a great time. Yep. You were such a gracious yeah, host. Yep. Beautiful up in the mountains, some good cold beer out there, some good food. And we had a great time, but if yeah. you're a part of the team player movement, again, please make sure you give us that five-star rating. It takes five seconds, but that helps more people find the show. We have almost a hundred of those ratings now, 74 on Spotify, 32 on Apple podcasts. So we're, we're doing great. If you want to leave a written review, I read those on the show. You can hit the follow button to subscribe and get a new episode in your queue every other Sunday. We will be honored if the Team Player Podcast made in your rotation. And I'm your host, James Kovaleski. Please follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. All right, Coach. Gurdon, Arkansas. In southwest Arkansas, about one hour northeast of Texarkana, about an hour and 20 minutes southwest of Little Rock, the capital of Arkansas. Talk to us, Coach. What was it like growing up in southwest Arkansas? 
You know, at the time, I know everyone says this, but it was just the greatest place in the world. We yeah. didn't realize that, that how tiny it was. And really, I don't know that tiny is the right, but it was pretty small. I think I graduated with about 75 uh, classmates who, by the way, we have a big reunion coming up next year. I won't, I won't say the number, but it's a bit, I, I'll say this. A lot of the people I graduated with are really getting old. So, uh, <laughs> uh, and it, you know, it was just idyllic. It was, you know, and, and growing up in the late sixties, early seventies, we were kind of, you know, it was a term, a lot of turmoil going on in the country with Vietnam and the, the civil rights movement and everything. And we weren't isolated from it, but we were shielded a little bit just by the, by where we lived. It was so rural and and mm -hmm. and small town, and so it was just great growing up. Now I'm not sure everybody felt the same way I did at that time, but mm -hmm. you know, looking back on my childhood, it was a great place to live and a great place to to grow up in. And so, of course, you went to Gurdon High School, the Go Devils. I got to ask you, what's go a Go Devil? Devil? Yes, sir. Go Devils, go. It's great to be a go devil. That's the gotcha. The so basically, just a, de a devil. If I, I was wondering if the go had some kind of significance, you know, to the area or anything like that. You know, it, it's just like no, it doesn't. You okay. Know, it's, uh, supposedly, and this is really pretty anticlimactic. That at some point, I think they were the devils or something, and and someone made the comment, "Look at those devils go" or something. Ah, oh, I like it. I like it. Or so. You know, it just kind of evolved into the Go Devils. But I, I thought it was unique, and I'm I'm still proud to be a Go Devil. I love it. I love it. And the fact that so many are going to attend that reunion all these years later, I think that shows the true pride of the Go Devil pride down there. But Yeah, I think yeah. so, yes. You played football and baseball. You loved football, but you were a better baseball player. You say you were actually a four-year starter on the Diamond. Talk to us about that experience, being a multi-sport athlete there in Gurdon. You know, of course, you know, being in a small school, everyone – plays multiple sports or a lot of people do and I played basketball I think through my freshman year and then started playing when I, I mean I played baseball since I was six years old so mm -hmm. I didn't just start but once I made the varsity squad and I also played varsity football as a sophomore even though I was like special teams and mm -hmm. and uh, uh, you know role player um, so the basketball thing kind of got squeezed plus we were really really good in basketball we were pretty good in every sport uh, but basketball, we we were a real basketball power, and they have been since then. Um, and I think our shortest starter my senior year was like six one. So you know me, James. I'm 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 not towering over anybody. So you know, I, the, the basketball it was kind of a natural attrition away from it. But yeah, I played football, and you know, it was a small school. We were class. I think triple A, three A in, 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 in Arkansas, but uh, you know, we would be the size of uh, an A school, maybe mm -hmm. you know, double A, I don't know, in, in Texas. Um so it, you got the opportunity to play and, and I I've started my last two years. I was I won the defensive MVP my junior year, um, played outside linebacker and kind of a split four type scheme. Yep. And but baseball, I was you know, I came from a baseball family. I had two uncles and a cousin that played professionally. Now, wow. they were, they were, you know, it's it's not fair <laughs> coming from a 5'8 guy. You know, they were blessed with, with different bodies than I had. They were sure. both lanky, taller, and had the long range of motion. I'm 5'8 on a good day, and, you know, but I, I had some baseball skills and played center field for four years for, for the team, and, 
you know, we, we, we were good. We had some good summer league teams and we had some good high school teams and it, it was just fun. It was, it was, you know, it was just what you did. And, and back in, and I guess kids still do today. I know that everyone says they don't, but we played whatever was in season. So if it was yeah. football season, we were out in the yard playing football. During basketball, we had an outdoor court. We were out playing basketball. During baseball season, we were having pickup games in the yard. So, you know, we, we you were a multi-sport athlete even before you started high school. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it was, but it was fun. It was a good career. I had good coaches and, and a lot of great memories, a lot of great teammates. Yeah, coach. And, you know, I, I want to talk about that relationship between football and baseball. So you, you as a player, you loved it. But now, you know, this is a coaching podcast. A lot of coaches listen. Some of the successful programs I've been a part of as a coach, there was a really nice synergy between football and baseball. Like I remember at Clements that year, we went 13 and one in football. Yeah. You know, we had Derek Carr was our quarterback, NFL quarterback. But a, a lot of our star players also played uh, for Coach Herb Espinosa and the baseball team. Yeah. You know, and at Austin, this, the same was true. I remember for my class, you know, guys like Ernie Toto and Scott Stack. And I mean, several of our big time football players also played in the baseball program. And so I'm just curious for you, obviously, in a small town like Gurdon, it's very common, you know, for everyone to play multiple sports. But nowadays, select baseball year round baseball has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm sure there's more pressure at a 6A. You, you've done it at the 6A level, coach. Obviously, you were into football, right? You coached football at Austin. My brother went to Travis. Jody Albright was also his freshman football coach. So sometimes you do see the baseball coach coaching freshman ball. Sometimes you don't. Curious your thoughts on that. How, what do you think is best for both the athletes and the programs in general, both baseball and football? Well, I think it can vary depending on the athlete. You know, if you are a very elite baseball player, I kind of understand that maybe sure. you're or basketball player or track athlete or whatever, that that's what you're going to focus on. But I think by and large, and, and you know, you mentioned Clements and, and, and Austin, uh, Elkins was the same way. You yep. know, we had some kids that came through Elkins that were baseball players. They won state championships. But most of them, uh, I'd say a majority of the, their best baseball players play football as well. Right. And, you know, Carpenter, who's a legend there, both his kids played both. You That's know? right. I just think it's I, – I really encourage my baseball players – if they wanted to, to, to play football, I think it's great from a mental toughness aspect and plus the conditioning and strength training that you get with football. Because with baseball, you we're not getting the same thing in the weight room that, that, that they're getting in football. So I just think it's a compliment to particularly baseball. And right. I think also it's important that you get your better athletes on the field in football. And I mean, I know it, it's a sacrifice. And in Texas, particularly, it's really, really hot in August. And, yeah. you know, it's easy to say, you know, I'm not doing that stuff. But I think that I, I highly, highly recommend playing multiple sports if you can. You know, eventually the sports are going to weed you out. So do, do it while it's fun and while you can. And you only get that high school experience once. And, and, you know, James, when you go to college, it's a different animal. Uh, sure. Oh, there, there's nothing. The high school thing's just, it's fun. The camaraderie's great. And, and it's not a full-time job yet, even though it might seem like it at the time. Uh, and then, you know, once you take the, get to that next level, it's all encompassing. So, yeah. you know, I, I truly encourage to play multiple sports. I think it benefits the programs. I think it benefits the kids. 
I think that's great, Coach. And I mean, you, you joked at the beginning that, you know, you don't know if anybody's going to listen to this. But I think the fact that you had all those deep relationships with both football and baseball players, many of which did both. I think there's gonna be a lot of my classmates and, and guys that came after me that are going to want to listen to this. But when I was there, you, you were not the head coach. Uh, uh, Todd Molig was the head coach when I was in high school. But was it very shortly thereafter that you became the head coach? I, I for what years? Yeah, I, I, uh, James, uh, 2004. 2004. Um, okay. Yeah. Right after. Yeah. I, I, I followed Todd. I was his assistant. And then um, when he resigned, I, I got the job. And I want to ask you, so at the time when you were coaching me, you were not the head baseball coach, but when, when you became the head baseball coach, did you continue to be a freshman football coach at Austin? I did up until uh, the last five or six years or so. And they changed our schedule a little mm -hmm. bit. So then I moved to the varsity level. I still stayed with football, yeah. but. I was coaching with Coach Schreiber and Derringer and, yeah. you know, um, uh, Dan Bourne and that group of guys. And, uh, yeah, I became the wide receiver coach. And eventually, um, you know, I was named the assistant head football coach, but I think that was more of a, a stipend move than it was sure. any influence I had on game planning. Or, <laughs> I know, or, or, or maybe I got a lot more administrative duties. That went a, with that. a reward for all your years of service. And yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Did, yeah. did I see correctly on social media? And I don't think I ever talked to you about this. What was the field renamed Randy Ursary field uh, to honor your retirement? Or, I saw something to that effect on online. Yeah, it was. That, that's awesome. Coach. I know you're, you're so humble. You just kind of downplay it and brush it off, but that, that is yeah. a awesome honor that'll live yeah. on forever. So well, let me ask you this coach. Is it difficult? Because, like I said, you don't always see baseball coaches continuing on. And most times at the freshman level, you even did it at the varsity level. Was that difficult for you to be also the responsibilities of a head baseball coach leading that program and being involved in football, which we know in Texas is a lot of hours on the weekends? It is. And, and you know, I don't think people realize it. And, and really, they probably don't care. But people that are not into coaching, the amount of hours that we sure. put in, particularly yeah. in football, but being the head coach, and, and I'll say this, my assistants were just as involved. So we start we start football in July, mm -hmm. you know, the latter part of July with coaches meetings and, and our days and getting prepped for the season and then two a days and then two scrimmages, uh, you know, weeks of scrimmages before we started on 11, you know, 10 games in 11 weeks and then six weeks of playoffs if you were lucky enough to go that. And in Texas, it's seven days a week with football. You know, it was not, you know, we're getting there in the morning sometimes before school for video or weightlifting or just staff meetings or whatever, and then staying till 6, 6.30 in the evening. And that was with a 2.30 dismissal time. Mm -hmm. And so it's very time consuming. And then, of course, being the head baseball coach, as soon as we came back from the winter holidays, you're, you know, we start at the end of January. So you're prepping for that and you're having open field and open cages and and you know you're staying late with, with the kids are in the field and for the last several well you know my whole career we'd have to run the kids out of the cages you know as long as we'd stay there and let them hit they would stay there and work out on the field or whatever so yeah you know you do put in a lot of time and it's a lot of sacrifice and you know I think my wife was as burned out of it as, as it, more so than I was because sure. obviously I'm still doing it so I really really enjoy it. That's awesome, Coach. And, you know, we don't talk a lot of nuts and bolts and X's and O's or anything, but I, as a coaching podcast, I, one decision that I think a lot of my listeners will be interested in 
if they aspire to become a campus coordinator or head coach and things of that nature is handling the off season of football and the season of baseball's terms as what to do in the athletic period. And I'm assuming at Austin, your football and baseball athletic periods were the same period. Cause I've just seen it done a couple different ways where, you know, main two being once it's baseball season, they go to baseball and they're in baseball athletic period during the school day. I've also seen some coaches that do allow their baseball players to do off season, but then on game days, you know, they don't want them lifting. And so they'll, send them to baseball to just get ready for the game or, uh, um, you know, uh, somewhere where maybe the sub varsity kids continue to do full off season lifting, but the varsity goes to the athletic period, work on baseball. There's lots of different ways to skin a cat coach. I'm just curious. You, you did it for a long time at a high level. What do you, what do you recommend as a, how to handle those players getting their football weightlifting for off season, but also being the best baseball player they can be. We kind of did a combo of what you just said. We pretty much let or left the, Sub varsity players with off-season football. Okay. Do baseball season. Go and get your workouts. Go and get your conditioning. And, you know, on game days, maybe they would go lighter or, or, sure. or you know, depending on what they were doing. But, uh, you know, we always felt like if the, our, our athletic period was fifth period. So they had lunch the whole afternoon to recover. I, I, I never really, unless they were pitching, I never was worried about the, the sub varsity players, what they did during – the uh, football offseason. As far as the varsity players, we kind of did a combo. And Coach Schreiber was great at this. On game days, they came with us. If we needed them on a particular day, they came with us. On lifting days and regular practice days, they stayed with uh, football. And then we would kind of balance it with our practice schedule. You know, we would go through part of our hitting, and we had it down pretty good, Coach Tucker and myself, uh, Jim Tucker. Uh, you know, we would do our batting practice during fifth period, except for the football players. So when we came back after school, we only had one group or maybe two, depending on the numbers. That And, and so we were done with BP pretty quickly. Yeah. And then we could work on defense and, and situations and whatever else it was that we were, you know, practicing that particular day. Very good. So that was kind of a little bit of a dive into that dynamic of a football, basketball, high, excuse me, a football, baseball, high school, basketball athlete like you were as a player and also as you led as a coach. But then after your time at Gurdon, you went to Henderson State University, and that's in Arkadelphia. I think it's one of the cool, the cooler town names, about an hour yeah. southwest of Little Rock, uh, Henderson State there. And you had some interest, uh, but there was no scholarship offered. So you actually decided to and you said at the time, you know, college was affordable enough. You you actually just worked, and that was able to cover your expenses. And so yeah, that's I, I, I did, James. I paid for every cent of my college. My dad worked for International Paper Company. Uh, now he was a supervisor for them, but or a foreman, and then supervisor. But it, it, it you know, we weren't rich. We were mm -hmm. we were middle class. But if we were middle class, probably barely. So it, it was, you know, it was, it, they would have paid for my college had I needed it. And if I wanted to, to try to walk on, uh, but at the time I, I just made the decision, you sure. know, that, that the offers didn't come. I probably could see the writing on the wall and looking back, you know, now then going and watching, I made the right decision. You know, yeah. I don't have any regrets that I, that I didn't try to play. I might've could have hung around a few years and, but I don't, you know, I think I made the, the correct decision and you could, I worked pretty pretty much full-time through college, but I had a, a pretty good gig. I also worked for International Payroll. I started working part-time, and then they they set me up with some – they called it a night watchman, but you were more of a fire person. So I would work uh, Wednesday night from 
five to midnight, Friday nights, midnight to uh, 7 a.m. the next morning, and then all day Sundays. But, um, and so I got, you know, almost half a week there, and then I'd work part-time here and there doing, you know, whatever. I was still a gopher, even though I was college age, you know, whatever they needed me to do, and a lot of mowing and cleaning and, mm-hmm. you know, maintenance stuff that was not high-tech. And so I worked for international paper from my junior year in high school through college. And I will say working there in the summertime was a great motivator to stay in college. Sure. And yeah, yeah, I didn't want to do that full time. That's know, good. So, yep, you know, yep. I hear exactly what like you say. It was a lot like work. So yeah, they got me through college and uh, encouraged me to stay in college at the same time. And so when you were in college, I always ask this question, coach, did you come in to Henderson State thinking your, your career path was coach or did you come in majoring in something else and, and aspiring to a different career path? I always thought that was what it was going to be. It was from day one. That was my career path. And, you know, I had some great instructors and some great professors and, you know, the couple of them in particular were like, don't major in physical education. You got to teach, you know, everybody's going to be want to coach and teach PE and there's those jobs are very limited. So mm-hmm. luckily I got a degree in history. And, you know, I ended up teaching government eco at Austin for all those years, but a lot of different history classes down through the years. And um, so, you know, yeah. So once again, no regrets with that decision either, obviously still doing it 44 years later. So, you know. Yeah, Obviously. no, I, mean, I always wanted to have you as, as a teacher. I just never had the honor, you know, when, when I was a student to get your government Nico class. But I think that would have been really cool. I know all the kids that, did, that had it just loved it and had a great time and learned a lot. But the reason I ask that question is, you know, I keep stats on it, coach. And I find it kind of interesting that it usually about 40% of my guests are like you and like myself that we knew coming in. Actually, yeah. 60% of my guests, which are like winning awards, coach of the year, you know, they, they were going to do something, some other career. And then it changed to coaches. I just find that interesting. And I, and I think it shows it's never too late when you catch that, that passion to coach. And so if anyone's listening and you're thinking about the career change, you know, I, I say definitely consider it. Okay, yeah, it's, now, it's, rewarding. it's rewarding. It's a challenge yep. at times, but it's really rewarding. Okay. Now, and so as far as coaching stops, you started out in Augusta, Arkansas, which is a small school in East Arkansas. And, and now from there, you spent a year in Oklahoma. Where in Oklahoma were you at? I was in Jay, Oklahoma. It's right on the, it's very Northeast Oklahoma. And it, it's, uh, I got, when I went to Augusta, Arkansas, our first two years, our head coach was Larry Green. And then my third year in Augusta, Larry got the, uh, a head coaching job at Gravit, Arkansas, which is in Northwest. And then after one year, he, he was successful in Gravit, had a really good year, led him to the playoffs for the first time in a long time. I don't remember the specifics. And then he got the head coaching job at Jay. And so I left Augusta to go to Jay with him and a couple of other guys that I'd coached with. And it was, it was you know, it was chasing money at, the, at that time. You know, this was in the late 70s, early 80s, and teaching jobs didn't pay a lot. You know, you, you'd had a second job work all summer and to supplement. My wife at the time was also a teacher. And so, you know, we went to Jay for a year and then it didn't work out. And I'll just follow the progression. I'll go through the food chain here if you want me to. Sure. From today, I went to Berwick, Louisiana, which is in very South Louisiana. My dad had left international paper and he was working in Morgan City, Louisiana at the time, which is down on the, the it's in Cajun country. It's, it's very South. And he said, man, there's a ton of jobs down here. Just come, 
you know, if you if you're not happy in Oklahoma, and we it was okay, but it wasn't. It was okay, mm-hmm. and so I went to Berwick for three years, and then I went back to Arkansas for five. I went to Searcy, Arkansas, and then I had a friend, my insurance agent, who said, "Man, if you ever want to go to Texas, mm-hmm. I've got a guy that's assistant superintendent in a district called Fort Bend." Wow! And so eventually, you know, it it, it was a a retirement issue, a money issue and, and, uh, benefits, you know? So eventually, you know, you're, you're still, we, I don't know that we were living paycheck to paycheck, but it was pretty close. So, uh, my ex-wife and I both took a job in, in Fort Mend and, you know, the, the, the pay was a lot better. The benefits were better and the retirement was better. And, you know, the only regret was that we didn't come sooner. You know, we sure. I had a college professor also said, if you're going into, if you're going into teaching, you know, go to Texas. That's where the, you know, that's where the, for a, a career as a teacher and a coach, the benefits are the best, the retirement's the best. So I, I was about 10 years late getting there, but, you know, it, it was the best move I could have made coming to the Houston area. Uh, Texas in particular, the Houston area turned out great for us. Yeah, no, I definitely like my, my wife actually was in, was in education when she started her career and she's from Michigan. And so I think, you know, the economic downturn really hit the Rust Belt Midwest hard. And so we see a lot of transplants from Ohio and Iowa and Michigan. Yeah. Oddly enough, though, even though geographically Arkansas and Oklahoma and Louisiana are closer, I almost feel like in my maybe 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 it's just very anecdotal in my experience. I feel like I don't see as many people like you from the great great state of Arkansas, you know, the the gem state. You know, I I don't feel like I've seen as many. Is Is it because there is a certain civic pride in Arkansas or people do want to stay or? Or, or maybe I'm I'm wrong. Maybe there are more. Uh, I don't. I think you're right, but I think that a lot of the, the the teachers that leave Arkansas are probably in the metro area, gotcha, and the yep. Yep. area and the Tyler area. So that makes sense. They're, they're probably staying. Or, you know, if if we had if I'd taken a job in Kingwood when I went home, that would be an hour hour and fifteen minutes closer to home than right. just being on the side of Houston. So. I think there's probably a lot of transplants, but I think they're more Eastern and Northeast and to the Dallas area. That totally makes sense. And so you started your, your Fort Bend career at Quail Valley Middle School, the Raiders. Yep. I'll never forget them. That was the first ever middle school football game I played. I went to Sugarland Middle School in seventh grade. Right. And I'm trying to remember the term that, that the, I think that the term that my coach used to describe them before he played them was headhunters. Yeah. And I didn't really fully understand as a seventh grader what I was about to walk into and that was an eye opener. That was my welcome to varsity. It was yeah. kind of a, as a seventh grader, like, oh my god, these guys, you know. But what was it like coaching at Quail Valley? Man, it was a lot of fun. And you know, when I went uh, in '89, Lake Olympia Middle School didn't exist. Mm-hmm. McAuliffe Middle School didn't exist. Uh, a lot of the middle schools that are obviously the the uh, the second one in first colony i can't remember the next sports settlements right didn't exist so we were a little bit bigger and we had kids about at the time elkins high school didn't exist mm-hmm. so we had about a 75 25 split about 75 percent of our kids would go to dulles and oh. about 25 percent of our kids would go to willow ridge and that was back and you remember this james this was back in the days where you know there were only five high schools in fort ben at the time mm-hmm. they were all big and I mean, like it, when there were football games, there were pageants, you know, I remember yeah. the Willow Ridge band back in the days, you yes. know, in their fight song, I, you know, I'm in my mid thirties and when they'd start playing, I'm ready to get on the field and get yeah. after it. Right. Know, it was a lot of fun. 
And of course, when Willeridge and Dulles played, I'd gotten to know some of those kids through the, through the coaches and, and then through coaching there. So it, it, it was a blast. And also, like you said, we had some really, really good athletes at the time. And, you know, some that went to, you know, I had Mike Scarborough, I had Royce Huffman, I had mm. Stephen Truitt and, uh, yeah. uh, the, the, that group, Jason Gray and the, those group yeah. of kids really became phenomenal high school and college athletes. And even in some of those cases, professional. And then we had Rossi Jones and Jimmy Friday that went to uh, Willow Ridge and yeah. became uh, high school standouts. And then Jimmy went on and played at Notre Dame. So, wow. you know, we had some really, really good, and obviously they're middle school age before they were, like you said, we didn't just consider ourselves headhunters. We just considered ourselves good. You know? Yeah. So uh, it's it yeah. a lot of fun. And our, our rivalry then, I don't know if it was the natural rivalry, but it was Missouri city. Yeah. And they were, so they were, uh, they were top notch at the time, athletically football, basketball track and Hodges Bend who, you know, sure. Ended up feeding a lot of our kids, and Coach Russell was was there at the time. Wow. So we had we had some good good uh, games with those guys too. And you know what a nerd I am, coaching nerd that I'm reflecting on middle school rivalries. I so, love it, you know. Coach. I'm here for it. I love talking rivalries. And, and I mean, and you, you mentioned Missouri City because I find it interesting. If 20 percent of Quail Valley fed Willow Ridge, did McCullough not exist at that time? McCull I don't you know what McCulloch may have already opened James because uh, I do remember going there or maybe they opened when I was there. So Willeridge was so big that it had McCulloch and part of Quail Valley and also Missouri City. I take it probably was some went to Will. Wow, because Willeridge, like you said, at that time was such a powerhouse. I think at the time, yeah. I think Missouri City was like us. I think a majority of Missouri City went to Willeridge, but some came to Dallas. Makes sense. Yep. Before then, that, this is pre Elkins. So, you know, and, and, and how was my, how are my Trojans? Uh, my, my my middle school, they, the, the, were, were they you kicking their teeth in the entire time, or or just when I was there? <laughs> uh, they were competitive. Yeah, they were, they were competitive. Uh, you know, generally it was Mo City, Quail Valley, and then Hodges Band at the at the at the end. Sure, that were the top, and and you know, quite frankly, everybody there was everybody was pretty good because they're just weren't that many middle schools at the time. And then it was sure. like Austin with the middle schools too. It just depended on when, what opened, how you got carved up by right. you know, boundary changes. So some benefited. I know as soon as Lake Olympia opened and they opened a year or two before I left to go to Elkins and they took a lot of our athletes, right. you know, so, you know, we weren't quite as deep as we had been, but James, I remember this was an amazing thing to me when I moved to Texas and I started coaching at Quell Valley. You know, today everybody's worried about numbers, but this was in 89, 90, 91. We would have a hundred per class come out yeah. for football. Yep. So we'd have three coaches and a hundred seventh graders, three coaches and 95 eighth graders. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was so, you know, we, we probably needed to disperse that talent a little bit just for development. And, you know, from I'm, I'm sure they're not opening middle schools for football, but, you know, that's <laughs> another benefit of of opening the middle more middle schools i i do miss those days coach and i mean it I, it was kind of eye-opening to me I, I i broadcast a couple clements games dulles games austin games the lack of size of the rosters is just shocking to me because i mean i can't I, I played in the late 90s early 2000s and i'm 
it was even more powerful in those days you're describing of like late eighties, early nineties, the Fort Bend teams were, you know? And so it, part of me gets a little misty eyed thinking about the way that things were, but there's still good football. Ridgepoint, Hightower, very, very good. So yeah, but it, I, I, I'm like you, I, I love the history. Yeah. Hightower had a great season this year. They huh? sure did. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they, they really should have beaten Summer Creek. They, they had them on the ropes, but I don't want to get us too off topic, coach. So then you made a real natural transition. A lot of a lot of coaches do this. You started out at the junior high and then you went up to Elkins, which is very geographically close, you know, to Quail Valley. So it totally makes sense. Were, were you were you one of the original knights? Were you there like right when the doors opened? No, I was there the second year. Second year. Yeah. And the second year. A question and, I have uh, for you, and I, this has come up on the show a lot of times. I've had several coaches swear by and I never got to do this. I never coached middle school, but several of them swear it's going to make you like you should want to coach middle school first. It's going to make you a better coach because you're you're dealing with kids that maybe are just completely new to the game. And so it kind of rewires you as a coach and how you need to approach it. Do you agree with that? Or, or I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah, I, you know, and obviously it's going to vary for individual and what you're what you're coming into it with. But for most people, 100 percent. And, you know, this is how I'm going to age myself here. But I remember going because I'd coached high school level before I went to uh, I'd done both uh, before I went to uh, Quail Valley. But the last few years, you know, I had done high school. And so we get to Quail Valley and we're fitting the kids the first day and we're passing out equipment and to about every other seventh grader having to explain what a jock is. Sure. You know, it's, yeah. It, yeah. it's really eye opening uh, for me about, you know, here's how you put on shoulder pads. All right. Yep. You know, the helmet the other way around. <laughs> it's funny, but yeah, you do get a good basis from the ground up. You have to teach the fundamentals and it gets you in a habit of, you know, even in baseball, this carried over, even though I didn't do baseball in middle school, you know, that you have to start on the ground up. You have to teach the footwork. You have to teach the stance. You have to teach just, you know, the basics. The, and and so, yeah, I think it makes you a better coach. I think it makes you a a, a better techni- technician. Is that pretty universal across all of Houston? Or I, I don't think it's just a Fort Bend thing. Like, none of the junior highs play baseball, correct, for the most part? Or, or do they? Or so, do I'm not aware that they do. And obviously, a safety issue, I'd imagine. I, I was a safety cost, the sure. facility, you know. Yep. A lot of upkeep of the field, no doubt. You got you, you yeah, baseball coaches do a great job keeping the field pristine, so yeah. that'd be and, hard and, to do. You know, I don't know where like at Quell Valley, I'm not sure where we would have practiced. Sure. And it's so a tribute to Houston. There's there's such great youth programs. Right. You know, whether it's first colony little league or, or uh the Pecan Grove, you know, the the Lamar Little League and you know, the, the there's some great youth programs that do really good jobs. And, and, you know, there, I was associated with both, you know, my son, Josh played uh, through first colony little league and a man, he had, he had really good coaches and, and it was a good program. And, you know, it was a kid's first thing. So, you know, I think that's part of it too. And, and logistics and, and I guess middle school has that at soccer, but even when I was doing it, there was no middle school soccer either. Coach, you know, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but, you know, we talked rivalries earlier. And so I have my own biases as a player and a coach. You know, Elkins is always, I consider, a rival of mine just from my experiences. and I, My wow. least favorite of all the schools in Fort Penn, I see just because of that rivalry aspect. Because as a player at Austin, 
even though geographically we weren't really related, I just felt like the two varsity games I played against Elkins were very hotly contested. Uh, Elkins kept Austin out of the playoffs several years in a row and must win last game of the years. But then also I, I coached, then my, I began my coaching career at Clements. That's a heated rivalry with Elkins. And then I helped open Ridgepoint, which became a very contentious yeah. heated rivalry with Elkins, you know? And so I, I, I just, when I, when I see that, those colors, I feel a certain way, but then I've met so many great coaches and people that have come from Elkins, obviously like yourself, but can you describe what, what was your feel being, being a knight there in those early years? In the early years at Elkins, James, you know, the, the I don't know that we had split from Dulles. So everybody was trying to make the Dulles Elkins, the rivalry. Sure, like sure. Austin and Kramer when it opened, sure. Austin and Travis when it opened. But for us, it was Willow Ridge. Okay. You know, yeah. In a lot of sports, particularly in football, it was heated. And in basketball, we were the top two. Yeah. And I could basketball at Elkins. I helped with baseball, you know, kind of hung around. But uh, I was the freshman basketball coach, freshman football coach at Elkins. And that was the, the boy. Those were some really, really good teams. And, you know, it, it, it always went down to the wire and it'd be physical, really tough games. So, we were kind of like you. It, it was the, the school that wasn't necessarily the closest, even though it wasn't an east, it wasn't on the western side. Sure. But yeah, our our rivalry at the time was Willow Ridge. I mean, they were they were great, and and we had some really good teams at the time. And of course, Hodges Ben. I mean, uh, uh, High Tower didn't exist, so right. right. You know, we were borderline with them, and and we had a lot of athletes. They had a lot a lot of athletes. So I get it. Yeah. It's the teams that you're competing against and the teams that are, are really a challenge to you that, you know, that are end up being your rivals, I think. It's not necessarily geographic in some instances. So the Clements Rangers, even though they're geographically also close, it just never really sparked quite that much. You know what? They were for a while. And, and you know, there was times in, in Clements' history, I know they're one that's kind of got, when I mentioned getting carved up, my new school's opening. Right. Right. Clements is one that has taken a brunt of it. But yeah, they were really good. You know, when, when I was at Quell Valley and we may have taken taken it from them, but they had Arcola and Fresno. Mm. So, you know, back in the days before Elkins opened, when it was Willow Ridge, uh Dulles, Clements, Kempner, uh, boy, they had athletes too. Sure. I mean, they were and I I mean they, they still have athletes, but I'm talking about an abundance, you know, they Absolutely. Had, you know uh, uh, kids that, that were fast and strong and they had depth and, you know, all the schools did at that time. So, yeah. So Clements was, uh, you know, and then in baseball, I, I thought we had a very, very healthy rivalry with Clements right. at, when I was in Austin and we did at, at Elkins too, you know, baseball wise Clements was the rival. They, you know, it was Herb and Rick Carpenter yes. were the, you know, the two head coaches and, you know, they had a mutual respect for each other, but yep. once you got on the field, you know, boy, they wanted to beat each other too. And they were, you know, and, and along with, with uh, Clint Welch at Dulles, man, yep. they, they, those three teams year in and year out were at the top of the area, not just the district. And then you, you know, I was able to help open Ridgepoint in 2010 and you got to do it 15 years earlier at Austin in 1995. Yep. And I, I have so many memories of what it's like, um, there's challenges, you know, I'll, I'll let you speak to a lot of them, but I'll just, I'll, I'll run through a couple of things in my head that stand out. Some of the challenges are, I don't know exactly how Austin did it, but at Ridgepoint, we started with just freshmen and sophomores. 
and I think Austin did the same when I talked to Sean McDowell, who's been a guest on this show. But um, it's difficult because those kids aren't used to being in leadership positions, and now suddenly they are expected to be leaders. And then number two, at least the way that we had done it, if you had made the varsity at Elkins or Hightower, you were allowed to stay. And so what can kind of start happening is coaches start passing out a lot of letters for track, and you, you, you get the guys to stay. So we actually had an extremely small sophomore class because obviously the players that were the better players – they wanted to play varsity. They didn't want to just play one year right. varsity for Ridgepoint. So that was difficult. Lack of leadership was difficult. Those are some of the things. But the good thing is you get to set the culture. That's obviously the strongest you know, selling point for opening new school, but it is difficult. I remember people think of Ridgepoint as always being good. We took some serious ass kickings, coach, on the sub varsity yeah. level. I'll never forget Kempner running a, a quarterback sneak for 20 yards on us one, in one game. Yeah. It just, we weren't physically ready, you know, but – you know, as time goes on, these new schools often do very well, just like Austin was very strong, you know, especially during that Devon Darling period. There's some really good teams, you know, in that, in that area era. But I'm curious your thoughts, Coach. Were they somewhat similar to what I described, or was it a different dynamic when you opened Austin in 95? I think it was slightly different. And yeah. I do remember the Ridgepoint days, and from baseball perspective as well. Yeah. You know, I remember uh, the first couple of years, Jody, uh, I wouldn't, I don't know that they struggled, but they, sure. you know, they, they, they didn't have varsity, and they sure were not dominant on the, the JV level. So, right. yeah, so I understand, and, and you're correct. But now we opened with juniors at Austin. Interesting. Um, okay, that is different, yeah. yeah. And and I don't know if they gave them a choice or not, but a lot when of When I talked to Sean McDowell, he said no. He said there was no choice. Like, he was at okay. Kempner. He, he had to go. And I remember Charles Burton had started for Kempner. Right. Yeah. And then had to play JV with, you That's know, with tough. us yeah. as a junior. Um, so we, so, so it's quite the opposite. We were really, really good. Now we started with varsity in every sport, but football. Okay. So we played varsity basketball, varsity baseball, soccer, everything else with no senior class. And, you know, that, that in itself presents challenges. Everything was, was, uh, you know, and our sophomore class was the one that was really strong in baseball. So the first couple of years, it was there were some growing pains in baseball. And I was I was the JV coach at the time. It was you mentioned Todd Mullig was the head coach, mm -hmm. and um, Kevin McCune was the the, the assistant baseball yeah. coach. All right, and we had a really strong sophomore class: Chris Sheffield, Troy Holt, those guys. But they were sophomores, and we we're playing. You know, uh, and we had some juniors, but by by we we were predominantly sophomore team in baseball, so yeah, it was a every game was a challenge, and we competed. But it, it, I don't remember how much we won or how how little. And then in football, of course, we just dominated in JV football that year um, because we had we were all juniors, and then uh, you know we so it, it trickled down. We had good JV, good sophomore team, and 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 our freshman team was really strong too because we had. Um, you know, Mission Bend and then uh -huh. Conrove and yep. the west part of, of, of New Territory. So everything they have now, plus a lot of neighborhoods. So we, right. you mentioned Devon and Devard and, and yep. those guys. So yeah, we have some great athletes in the pipeline. And so it was a lot of fun. But there were challenges too opening sure. the first year. And it's great. It is great establishing the culture, not only in the athletics, but in the whole school. But I remember the first year, our practice fields weren't ready. So we had to bus every day to Hodges Bend to practice with the freshman team. And it wow. was a route. So they would pick us up at two, you know, at 135, 140, 
and then they're not coming back till five or whatever it was. Yeah. So, you know, you, you're stuck there for, the, you know, you better make a long practice plan because you're going to be there a while. I had <laughs> no idea, coach. I'm so glad I, I've never. So what was it just all trees back there? Or like what, what was it back there where the field? Well, it already, they had already cleared it. They just hadn't, okay. you know, finished the landscape. Sure, sure, I, think sure. one, I think one, maybe two. I think the furthest one that's back, by the canal, you yeah. know, or back by what's the, the, the resort thing now. I think that's Safari, Texas. That, uh-huh. Yeah. Safari, Texas, yeah. the one closest to Safari, Texas wasn't finished. And so, uh, you know, like I said, we had big numbers at, at that time. And so the practice fields were, were, you know, everything was full of sophomores and juniors. So we had to go down to Hodges Bend and I don't know what they did. I don't, yeah. I don't know if we used a practice field and they were on the game field or vice versa. Um, I don't remember at the time, but I know it helped having Coach Russell, who had been at Hodges Bend. He was a good liaison. So, you know, we worked it out with them. And it was, it was, if it was an issue for them, at least, it, you know, they, they dealt with it. And like, they so Tom, Tom Stewart was the first head football coach and athletic coordinator. He was also my coach, you know, and was yeah. the coach for a very long time, all the way up until Coach Schreiber, who you ended up working for. Yeah. From what I understand, I, I think I know this to be true, but I don't, I don't want to misspeak. I believe Coach Stewart was an assistant at Kempner. He was. Right? He was the he was the OC at. Kempner. He was the OC at Kempner. And yeah. w- w- how did you come across to Austin? Did you already have a relationship with Coach Stewart, or how how did you find your way to Austin? I did not. I had no relationship with him whatsoever. Uh, uh, I was at Quell Valley for five years, as I said, and our principal was Mike Leach. And oh, okay. It, yeah. It's kind of a funny story, James. I was planning on staying at Elkins, and I was at Kroger and First Colony one night, and I ran into Mike and his wife. This was in probably April, and I said, "Hey, you know, hey, good to see you, Mike. How are you doing? You know?" And he said, "Have you put in an application yet?" And I said, "Well, no." He said, "We'll put one in tomorrow." Yeah. So, uh, okay, and then, you know, and then I ended up interviewing with Coach Stewart, and of course, you know, they hired me to do freshman and, and, and JV baseball, and, you know, it turned out to be a good relationship. Several of our coaches were from Kempner, but ironically, I had interviewed at Kempner two years before and thought I was getting hired, and uh, there was a snafu with the teaching position. I'd interviewed with Coach Hudson, who was the, the okay. head coach job at the time and I knew coach Farmer who was over there and a couple of the Kempner coaches so you know it, I, when I say I didn't know them I didn't know them that well personally but I did you know I did know you know I did know who they were and, sure. and of course you know and for, at the time Fort Bend coaches were around when, once they got a job in Fort Bend a lot of them stayed forever right. so they all knew coach Bolin and and you know the the coaches that, and coach Bell from Dallas who I'd had a, an association with. So, you know, it was, it, it was an easy reference check. Yeah, no, it is a small, it is a small community in a way. I mean, I remember Kevin Moran is, was one of the assistant principals at Austin yeah. all those years. And he ended up getting the job at Clements and that, that helped me. I sent him an email yeah. uh, after my first year at Clearbrook. And I said, coach, you know, I want to get back into Fort, or, you know, Mr. Moran, I want to get back into Fort Bend. You know, I'd like to interview and he emailed me back in like five minutes. I couldn't believe it. He yeah. instantly emailed me back. He said, come on in, you know, James, of course I remember you. And so, yeah, that, that's some great stuff. Now, as far as, uh, at Austin, you know, uh, 
we when I was there, I played varsity for two years, went three and seven both years. I've I've just never really been on a strong winning team <laughs> my entire my entire life, whether it be at Sugarland Middle School or at Austin or even in college. I went to Division three Austin College. It's kind of almost always below five hundred. However, I just look back at my time at Austin, and I just felt like Coach Stewart put together such a wholesome staff. You know, all the way through, you know, yourself, Coach Liby, uh, Coach Jordan. I remember all of you guys as, as the coaches that welcomed me in my freshman year. And then even just all the way through, I mean, I think of like a Dave Evans, the quarterback coach, you know, that I never really directly interacted with, but I just had memories in the summertime. He'd be jamming Christian rock and in the field house. And I just have those great memories of great people. And the other memory I have is back in those days, coaches weren't allowed facial hair. And so I just never, I thought you guys <laughs> couldn't grow facial hair, but then the first week or two of summer, you all got full beards. <laughs> I'm like, what's yeah. going on? But Looking back on those that great group of guys, Coach, do you have any memories of that early, that original Austin staff? I, just, I thought you guys were the best. And Rusty Robinson, yeah. also another one that was awesome, you know. Yeah, it was, it was, we had a lot of fun back in those days. And yeah. I'd had a previous relationship with Keith Castle. Yeah, who, Coach uh, Castle, another one. Yep. Yeah, yeah, he and I had coached at Quell Valley together, and he's one of the guys that would be in your 60%. Uh, yeah. He went to UTEP, and then he, 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 he did some other things. And then got into coaching, you know, after he had been out of college for 10 years or whatever the, the number was. And then, so we coached at Quell Valley together a couple of years. And then he went to Terry High School. And uh, he was on Takel staff. They kind of turned it around. They had a couple yeah. of really rough years. And then when it started clicking, you know, they, they turned, it, turned it into something of a little powerhouse or at least very competitive. And so I had a relationship with Keith and yeah, we were pretty close in those days. We had a really good group. Yeah. And you know, you said in the summer, you know, we weren't at the time you, you now then, you know, they paid conditioning coaches and so right. at the time it didn't, but we, were it wasn't there. organized. It was not we coach led. It was just an day. open weight room. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe not everybody, but we had a rotation, but even if you weren't on the rotation half the time, you know, you showed up. Right. And so, yeah, socialized together and and you know the two that that you know coach evans was there coach stewart uh coach robinson rusty robinson yep. and all those guys but the two that really really made the whole thing fun were the Molik brothers I yeah god i mean those guys i don't know what they were like to the players but man they they were professional but they were funny at the same time <laughs> those had killer sense of humor and 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 killer work ethic and were just tremendous coaches and and they were to me they were the kind of the glue of the staff that 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 uh, from a social standpoint and from a professional standpoint and and i think coach stewart did a great job of letting his coaches coach if he hired you as dc you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm gonna try not to interfere and i'm gonna try you know you're gonna be accountable but right. at the same time i won't allow you to do your job and 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 it's the same thing with with Rusty as the OC, and then mm -hmm. whomever followed him, uh, Todd Irwin. Um, yep. You know, it's the same thing. You know, you're the, the offensive coordinator. We're going to work together, and and we're going to scheme together. But this is, you do your job, and, and I think that that was his strength. And you're right. There were years where, you know, we didn't have great records, but I thought we competed. Yeah. Uh, and you know, sometimes we just didn't have the quite the depth or the, sure. the, the, the athleticism and then we had some teams that were where we did and and you know we had some really good years you know later 
with Jerry Hughes and, and yep. Trevor Stewart and, and, and that crew. And then, you know, after Shriver got there, after Dan, after Tom retired, and it's interesting, you said, you know, Coach Stewart was your coach. I was there 24 years yeah. and I had 12, 12. I'm pretty sure it was 12 and 12. Wow. I was with Coach Stewart for 12 years and then with Coach Shriver for 12 years. And then, you know, we had, you know, a really good group with, with, with Dan, uh, with, with Vic and, and Trevor Michael Bust and, yep. and, and, uh, Sean Abadaran, the quarterback. And man, we, we were, we had a couple of years there where we were competitive with anybody. And, you know, Vic made a lot of difference, and he was tremendous. I still remember going to watching you guys defeat Clear Springs for our first ever uh, playoff win in program history. Yeah. And that was a big moment. Um, so, Quinn, I, I, it's such a treat for you to tell me what it's because I've always wondered behind the scenes, like, you know, what the coaches are like. And now that I've been a coach and I've been in those offices, and just to know that the Molik brothers were so funny, I mean, that totally checks out, you know, that they were cracking jokes. And, yeah. It reminds me of like Bill Gary, the longtime offensive coordinator at Dulles, and now he's head coach at Dullis. But he was on Ridgepoint. Bill Gary is the funniest guy I've ever met in my life. But it's a super dry sense of humor, so you wouldn't know it. But Bill Gary's hilarious. <laughs> so that was the, the same way with Todd Moley. Yeah, you know his was dry, 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 but brutally funny. Todd was a little more gregarious with his. Yeah, I mean Scott. Scott was yeah. a little more gregarious. But at the same time, I mean, he would walk up to you in the middle of practice or like when we're warming up and just whisper in your ear the word of the day. And, you know, he's got this serious, mean look that the players are looking at. And he's coming out with the most profane word that you've ever heard. And that's the word of the day. You know? <laughs> crack up and he walks off looking like he's mad at the world. It was it was awesome. That's great, man. I, all, all those little memories come flooding back, Coach. Like, uh, Coach Castle would always be like, it's snowing over in Katy right now. And, you know, it's like 105 <laughs> degrees. Or it's like, you know, a smile in your heart and a, or something. A smile in your face and a song in your heart. Like, I just remember all those yeah. little sayings come flooding yeah. back Castle from those guys. The, Castle had all the old cliches. He did. I believe they were old. They were Castle cliches. Castleisms, yep. And, then, and of course, Coach Brantley leading that track program. I was, I was a thrower for the track team, and so he was – he was my guy on the, he was like my coach Kitterman on the track side, the guy right. that I just wanted to make proud of me and, and didn't want to disappoint. So that, that's what the best coaches do, right? They're able to just build that bond where you would run. It's cliche, but you would run through a wall for them. I would run through a wall for coach Kitterman and coach Brantley for sure. So great memories yeah. there, coach. Oh, go ahead. Uh, my son went to Austin early in, in, uh, in, in the years there. And he still, maintains contact with coach Brantley. That's awesome. Uh, it's not, not, not daily or, sure. or, or regularly, but he still, he, he, he still talks to Dennis ever, every now and again. And, um, coach Nicholson too, you know, the oh. Gary, you know, Gary was our, he opened the basketball program at Austin and he's more, you know, for coaching Willrich before he won a state championship and then at, at Marshall afterward. But, you know, he, he was at uh, Austin in the middles, and he was another one that the kids would run through the wall for. They just, sure. you know, he uh, he didn't coach football, but on the basketball side, he was a tremendous leader, and then the kids absolutely would do anything for him. And like I said, going back to my freshman year where you and I interacted the most for the most uh, often because you weren't my position coach as I got older or anything, but my memories of, of beginning high school football – and this is not an indictment on Fort Bend or anything, but I, in general, the Fort Bend at that, at least at that time, the middle school, there was no off season in middle school. 
you know, so at Sugarland, we, we would play the sport, but we didn't really have like a weightlifting class. And I right. felt like once we got to high school, the first several opponents that we had played, which if I remember correctly, was Dobie was the first one. Yeah. And then Katie Taylor was another. So you're kind of yeah. playing, especially, you know, you know how Katie is in their preparation in junior high. Like it was such an eye opener for us. And I, I believe we, we lost all of them right off the bat. You know, yeah. just we were completely physically out. I'll never forget that first scrimmage against Cy Fair. A Cy Fair was another we scrimmaged, you know, that has a great offseason, you know, as middle schoolers. I just felt so overwhelmed physically against Cy Fair, Doby, take Katie Taylor. And I think it would have been easy for those teams to kind of like buckle or lose hope. But I thought you did such a good job keeping us coming back and wanting more. And then once we settled into district play, we won a couple ball games and we were competitive. So I'm just curious, man, your, your thought as someone who did coach the freshman level, did you see a little bit of a disparity early on just trying to catch up and get into the off seasons? Cause I, I felt it as a player. Yeah, we, we, we certainly did James. And I don't know if we communicated to you that as such, but you know, another thing about Fort Bend at the time, and I don't know if it still is, is like, we also didn't have a true feeder school, even right. though we had, you know, a couple of schools that we got a lot of the kids. Some of them still went to Kemner. Some of them now go to Travis. And, uh, you know, you're, none of them are doing your stuff and they're not teaching your thing and there's no off season. Plus the fact there were several years in a row. And I don't know if it was in your years specifically where we were opening with schools in the scrimmages particularly, but maybe the first week that did not have spring football. And so we did have spring football, but we didn't get the eighth graders. Right. So we would have a week of, you know, shorts, and then only one week, if that, of pads yeah. before we're playing teams. And if if they had the extra week or two weeks of preparation, right. that was putting you in. So not only was there no off season, these other guys had, had extra time to prepare now, for the varsity and the JV kids, I love spring ball. I'm not, I wasn't an advocate that we shouldn't do it to accommodate freshman football, but it was also another disadvantage for us that yeah. we'd have less practice time than some of the teams that we were playing early in the, in the, wow. in, in our schedule. And Coach, so, you're the first person uh, that ever has brought that up to me. That. And it makes such sense. I've never, because I've always heard coaches debating about spring ball versus the extra week of, of camp, of fall camp. But I've never thought about it from the freshman level, Coach. I mean, you just blew, you really just blew my mind. That makes total sense. Yeah. And, and so it, it, depending on who we played, you know, sometimes it would be equal. But a lot of times that, that was a, a, a distinct disadvantage, I felt. Now, that said, I was, I'm a big proponent of, of I like spring ball for our kids. I think it's a great time where all you're focused on is fundamentals and development and competition and positions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I think it is a great for, you know, especially preparation for the varsity season. And at the time, it's not 110 yet. Sure. And so, you know, and, and their conditioning is not a, you know, you, you know, you kids aren't going through half the practice in 100 degree weather worried about how, what we're doing for conditioning at the end of practice. So I thought spring ball was very beneficial, but sometimes it was a disadvantage on the freshman level. So, but like I said, you're not let you don't let the tail wag the dog. So that's, you know, hire freshman coaches that know what's coming up and, you know, try to deal with it. Yeah. Coach. And you, you never, yeah, you didn't directly communicate to us the reasons why we were losing. It wasn't yeah. that, but what I felt like you did a good job of, and I can still remember these feelings is like, I always felt confident going into these games that 
you probably knew we were going to be outmatched. I didn't know it as a player, but you just did a good job just keeping so level. Just your personality is so level. You didn't seem concerned or worried, and so I wasn't concerned or worried. Uh, so I think I just thought you did a great job of that, Coach. And then, of course, baseball was really your forte. And I, I was that kind of guy. Like, I would go to all the varsity basketball games when I was a student at Austin and the baseball right. games. I, I distinctly remember going to Ursary Ballpark now, <laughs> you know, I guess Bulldog Stadium at the time, you know, but – I brought, I printed out a bunch of K's with my printer at home and I would, you guys are playing Willow Ridge and I think Barrington was on the bump and just mowing them down. And so I would, or maybe it was Ryan crew. I don't remember who, but I would put the K on the, I would tape it to the <laughs> guardrail to, to signify how many strikes, you, strikeouts you guys had gotten. So I like to do funny stuff like that, but yeah, great group. Uh, I just, you know, and just to go down memory lane for a moment with you, I'm sure some of your baseball guys will tune in, but you know, of course I do. Of course, Toto was your first baseman. He was our best, one of our best football players. Uh, Scott Stack was a great receiver for us that played for you, but I feel like Farrington was the ace and kind of star player. Uh, Ryan crew, believe it or not, I actually lived like one block away from him growing up. We, we both went to Barrington place. We would have, we, okay. we both ended up moving. So I actually grew up kind of with Ryan crew, uh, Brian Temko, I think, was the catcher, if I remember right. So you, you had like yeah. a really good group of players, and I remember, I remember us always being good, always being in the thick of it. But then I remember we, we we'd come across like Katie Taylor in the first round, and just couldn't quite get past them. Those are my memories. But just for you, man, any memories kind of from that era of baseball at Austin? Yeah, well, everything was good till you brought up Katie Taylor, right? And yeah, we um, their their senior year, and this was. Coach Mullig's last year, and not this is a coincidence. It's not the reason, but yeah, we uh, we played Katie Taylor in the first round, and it, they were we did have a good group, and they they were good too. And if I'm remembering correctly, we won. We was a three game set Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We won the first game and lost the second one to nothing, and so we went to Katie Taylor and built seven to one lead or something mm. and then ended up not winning. And yeah. man, that's why, you know, it's funny, James, and you know, this from a player and a coach, you remember the great wins and the great moments, but boy, you can still feel the punch in the gut for yeah. some of the games that, you know, there's two or three games like that. And I still, I still get the feeling when I think about those games and it, it was just, you know, it's like I said, a, Kicking the gut, you know, or maybe a little bit lower than the gut, but uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, we could, we we were just, you know, the a uh, couple of years before, and this was when I was still doing the JV, we won a couple of games, or maybe the first round, and then we ran into a great Bel Air team, yeah, and took to the limit. I remember and this, that, and that was Sheffield in that group. The, uh, Ryan Rumpel, Ryan Rumpel, I remember him a little. Ryan Rumpel, yeah, yeah we're going. About him in a few minutes. We're gonna, awesome. We're gonna, uh, he's a good basketball player too. I used to play basketball with him at the club in New Territory. Yeah. He's a great athlete, but he was good. You know, Ryan kind of had my. He, he he wasn't the most vertical guy. Yeah. No, I don't remember how tall. He's probably a little bit taller than me. But Ryan was a smaller guy. Yeah. Before he was a great little athlete. He was. I remember him hitting a home run one night at the Woodlands. We were in a tournament up there, and I swear it went over the 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 lights. You know, yeah. it was. Just, it was a rocket launch. And, Great stuff, you know, coach. He's like Altuve. He's a small yeah. pack, but he had a lot of punch. That's exact. That's the perfect comparison for sure. That is the perfect comparison. But, you know, I was always blessed that 
of course, I went to Austin, and so I would still root for you, you know, in your career as, as the head baseball coach. My brother went to Travis, so I'd always kind of follow them with an interest, uh, and they had some great teams, you know, with, with uh, of course, Coach Albright and Coach Hernandez, and yeah. my brother's best friends of Coach Hernandez's son. I hope Coach Hernandez, I know, had a stroke fairly recently, and he's recovering, and so we're wishing him all the best. Uh, and, and I, I add something? Yeah. If, if you go to Facebook, check out Coach Chernock, Larry Chernock. Okay. They have a GoFundMe account for Rodney and his family. Right. So, okay. Absolutely. So anyone yeah. listening, if if you've been impacted by Coach Hernandez, which many people that listen, I'm sure have at some some point or another, because he's a great one. And then um, obviously I was at Clements, so I got to meet Coach Herb Espinosa, also Easy De Los Santos. I know you did battle with for many years, and rest in peace to Coach De Los Santos, who we lost, you know, during the pandemic. Um, and then of course at Ridgepoint. You know, again, under Jody Albright and then you know, Welch came in kind of at the very end of me and he's continued. But like I've been around just from my career, some really great baseball in Fort Bend. So as a supporter, I would go to all these games and, and feel the energy in the ballpark and, and see. So just for you, any memories, any particular coaches or particular rivalries from your baseball career or, or moments or players or anything that stands out just big picture wise from your, your baseball head coaching career? Yeah, and, and the name that was left out was Rick Carpenter. At Rick Carpenter, yeah, that's right. And, yeah, you know, when I got the head coaching job, Todd had come from Clements, Todd Mullen. Mm-hmm. And so he and her, I'm not saying they had a rivalry because they had coached together and they were really, really close. And so we had some good rivals with them. And then Israel took over. And yeah. Israel had been a – he stood at taught at Austin High School. So we knew Israel really well, and he was a dear friend, and I am still can't talk about him or I'll get teary-eyed. But we had some great matchups with him, and a lot of times we ended up on the winning end of it. And it it was just, you know, I remember one game in particular, we were down six or five runs going into the bottom of the seventh, and we came back and won. And then the next here it was the same thing happening again and he goes to visit his pitcher and he walks off and he's got steam coming out his ears and he comes straight to the third base box and i don't know what he's going to tell me he said i really hate playing here just so calm <laughs> and, he walked the and it was hilarious and so yep. yeah and then you know with rick the thing about playing out they were just great teams they were really well coached they were hard-nosed and we did okay against them. I, I, you know, I'm not going to say we won more than we lost, but we had some big wins against them. And then Clint, you know, uh, same thing. We had some wins against him, and particularly, you know, he had some really good teams at Dallas. But, man, when he went to Ridgepoint and got the depth of talent, you know, yeah. he always did great at Dallas with 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 nine or ten players. And, and right. you know, he's really phenomenal. And so we had some great games with them from Dallas and – and at Rich Point. Of course, Jody, I knew well, so I liked him. But the one that got me was Rodney. You know, Rodney, once he got to Travis and a couple of years in, I think we ended up with like a six-year losing streak to them. Wow. Okay. Just yeah. Both games, blowouts, you know. Yeah. We're yeah. good and they're not. They're good and we're not. And yeah. I mean, they, they had our number for several right. years in a row, so – you know, it was my hats off to him and his staff at the time. I, that's not what I would have said, but, you know, <laughs> it was just, you know, for, for every game we pulled out against Clemens that we shouldn't have, we turned around and gave them to Travis. So sure. it was a, some great rivals. You're, you're right. You know, I know Fort Ben's had some really good football teams through the years and a basketball tradition, 
But I think from the time I got there, when I moved in 89, Dulles was coming off a state championship. And, you know, Elkins won three or four. Uh, Dulles and Ridgepoint, Clint's been to the state tournament three or four times. And, you know, we've had it's, – it's a tremendous baseball district. And Absolutely. It, it was a lot of fun every year. Absolutely. And, you know, when I went to visit you, gosh, it's been a couple of years ago, coach, I guess it was prior to 2020, if I remember correctly. I no, yeah. no, maybe it was, I think maybe I was still wearing the covering. Maybe it was around the 20, like maybe, okay. maybe, maybe 2021. It's been a couple of years, but I remember, I think you, I think you were beginning to do some coaching and then maybe even you're doing some crossing guard work to stay busy. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're full fledged, you know, like you said, you're, you're linebackers coach, your receivers coach. I mean, I just love seeing that you're still coaching coach. And, and how is that going for you up there in Whitefish? It's going great. If you've got, if we have time, I'll tell you this. When, when we, when we retired, Kim and I, when we retired, we were trying to figure out where the adventure of retirement's going to take us. Right. And so we've been to Whitefish several times, Glacier National Park, 20 miles to the east of us. We have a ski resort that I can look out my side window and see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we have a lake and a great golf course here. So we loved Whitefish, but and we're looking around, you know, where, you know, we know we're going somewhere, not some, where we can get outdoors and it's not quite as hot all the time. And so we were looking at Chattanooga, Tennessee and Whitefish and mm-hmm. a couple of other places, but it came down kind of to Chattanooga and, and Whitefish. And um, we said, well, we love it Larry. Let's go give it a shot. So, we're trying to do all the Texas stuff at the end of, of, of 2018 and 2019. And uh, we went to Big Bend camping. And on the way, I'm just fooling around on my phone. And I checked the, the, the job board at Whitefish High School or Whitefish Schools. And they had a middle school football job opening. Yeah. And so I said, hey, Kim, they got a middle school football job opening. And she was adamant, no, mm-hmm. need to retire at least in one full year. And then see what you want to do. So I brought it up a few days later. And she said, I don't think that's a good idea, Randy. I think you need to wait, you know, and give it some time. And and so I brought it up a third time. And she said, just do whatever you want. And I said, good. (laughs) And so uh, I started out middle school footballing. And then I I did some long-term subbing. They needed a PE elementary school teacher. Right. uh, One of the teachers, her mom was sick. And so she had to go to Bozeman to take care of her mother. And so I did. And that's how I got started subbing. And that's how I ended up one week. I was the crossing guard. That's what, that's what I remember you telling me. Yeah. 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 And then, and and it was cold too, by the way. But, um, so then we had a head coaching change and the, the head coach I'd gotten to know real well. So he asked me to come to the high school and with him for a couple of years, just to get, and he's, he's, for a head coach, he's kind of young. And so he wanted just, you know, I, I think my main duties is just to be somebody that he can bounce ideas off of. And I don't know how good I am at that, but, uh, you know, I, I can give an opinion even if it's wrong. Sure, so, sure, sure. sure. And, you know, the basketball coach said, hey, I need a freshman coach. And I said, coach, I'm not much of a basketball coach. And he said, can you run a practice? I said, coach, I can run a practice. He said, yeah. you're hired. And Love I was it. like, coach, applied. He said, you're hired. <laughs> And then we just started baseball and I got to know the baseball coach as well. And so I just volunteered at the JV. It's a, it's a volunteer position. And uh, most of our coaches are in baseball and, and it, it's a lot of fun. And, and the weather wasn't as bad as I, you know, we got most of our season in and, you know, we ended up state runners up. So it was, it was a good season and a lot of fun. 
Coach, now moving on to the next segment, this segment's a little more serious, you know, and a little more somber. You know, you mentioned you mentioned my dad and I going to games together, and I do have great memories of him taking me to Crump Stadium early on in my life when we're living in that part of town. And we kind of yeah. we kind of did the, you know, move from A-Leaf to Spring Branch to Fort Bend, just kind of gradually buying like the cheapest house in the next better area. And, you know, my, my, that was my parents' dream was to get me to go to Fort Bend, which they achieved. But finally moving to new territory, being at a great school like Austin, but um and also going to the astrodome with my dad i have those memories too but the thing that a lot of my coaches may not have known about me i actually did come from a very chaotic home life and so despite those times it was very abusive at home you know with my dad and stuff and and not not necessarily always towards me but like the relationship with him and my mom and so i was that kid um both my myself and my brother were up in our rooms just praying to god we can fall asleep and not have to hear the screaming which was every night every single day of my life i just wanted to get the hell out of the house and yeah. so when I, I was seeking positive male role models because of what I, my experience with my dad, I'd lost respect at that point. And I was seeking, I found it at Austin. All those coaches I mentioned, all of you guys, I, I just saw like, that's what a man should look like. And especially co- yourself, I was close with as a freshman. Then once you get older and even more into it, like coach Kitterman and I, I just really connected to him and aspired to be like him. And I just think it's so important. There's so many kids like, on the surface, I'm a GT kid, honor roll, National Honor Society, varsity captain. You think my life's perfect, but it couldn't be further from the truth. And there's so many kids like that that need coaches like Randy Ursery and Richard Kitterman and Tom Stewart and all of you guys. So now that I'm out of coaching and I'm an observer, I'm a broadcaster, I'm, a, I'm a doing podcasts, I just see a lot of negative behavior at these games whether it's directed at coaches, whether it's directed at officials, whether it's directed at other parents, just whatever. It's just, I feel like the respect is just going down the drain, respect for authority, respect for coaches, respect for everything, honestly, just behavior that I think is just, just low level behavior. I can't stand it. Coach, it drives me crazy. My question to you, you did this for a long time. You're enjoying retirement, but you're also still involved. Do you agree with me? Do you feel like there is a slippage that's happening in our society in, in terms of like the respect of the game? And then if so, what do we need to do? Because I think that like coaches should be held at the ultimate respect level and the game should be celebrated, not turning into a, just a giant chaos. What, I was just curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I have several thoughts on that, James. You know, and, and I agree. And it varies from where you're at, but, and, you know, I've seen it down through the years, you know, I, I still, I have a relative, I'll leave it at that, that that's an older guy. And every time I go home, I ask him, you know, well, what's happening, you know, and then yeah. uh, how was the football team? Well, if they had a coach, they'd be, you know, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah. Or, you know, if, if, if my niece played softball, but if she had a coach, she would have got to go to college and, so I, I've seen it forever, but it yeah. seems to be more animated. Yeah. Some of it. And, you know, I think one of the things is that, you know, this is going to sound very administrative, but it, part of it's got to be education. You know, right. I, I, we got to talk to the parents, you know, and, and number one, I always tried to sell, or, or I certainly did once I got to Austin, got the head baseball job. You know, I've seen a lot of coaches that consider their relationship with parents as us versus them. Right. And I right. tried to make I always tried to make it a team. Yeah. You know, we're we're really working for the same goal. You know, we want your son to grow, develop, to become the man 
that he can be or, or woman that she can be. And so <clears throat> bottom line is we have the same goal in mind. <clears throat> Excuse me. I may not always make the decisions you like, but the but bottom line is the goal. And so I thought because I did have open communication and I, I, I was, I was honest with people that I thought I had maybe less of it. And just from being honest, being open yeah, yeah. And, and communicating. I mean, I think that's the key, but then sometimes the districts have to step in, you know, there are right. a couple of instances because it wasn't perfect. I had a couple of really, really bad, bad instances in my career. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, I, I really felt in one in particular, I didn't have much administrative support. Right. You know, right. it was a, it was a, a really bad situation. Uh, there was a really bad instance and then it kind of continued and, you know, it just seemed like they just wanted to kind of let it go away. Mm. And, you know, that's easy to say when you're not the one directly involved. And so Coach, I may I ask just for the, just for the sake of the listeners that are, a lot of my, my guys are head coaches and gals are head coach that do deal with this. Can, can you give more specifics? Was it just someone who's heckling you at a ball game or was it just kind of constantly emailing you yeah, coming to the office? Me. Like, uh, not just me, even my wife. Oh my goodness. That's unacceptable. Yeah. You know, and I think she attended one game that year, maybe two. And, yeah. you know, just, you know, flipping my wife off, yelling obscenities at her. And, yeah. you know, and it's the funny thing is we'd had a really good season. Yeah. You know, it, it was, and it was one of those losses is kind of a punch in the gut. And then, you know, it just turned into a, uh, a, a really volatile situation and there was nobody there you know there there was no security there was no right. administrators they'd already you know the game ended so they'd walked away but this was still right at, and then no follow-up to it you know as a matter of fact they even allowed a meeting with those parents to air their grievances but you know it was i, I thought there was very little support i think you know, you, at times the administrators have to be more supportive of yeah of their staff, and uh, and I know you know it, it's like the the parents are our patrons. Well, no, you know it's not a business. It, it's you know I, I see. I agree with you, Coach. I feel like it's more of a privilege than a right, to be honest. Like my, I mean, I know my family. I recently interviewed my brother's coach from Travis, and we we were just so we're so reverential to him. We yeah. never, ever speak any kind of ill will. And we were just so thankful of what he provided for our brother. And I just think to like, my heart would break if I was at the ballpark and witnessed this kind of behavior in public after a yeah. ball game. And I mean, I just, yeah, I think administrators, I think we're in a society now where people are kind of learning that if they just scream loud enough and long enough that eventually they, they may get their way because people are afraid yeah. of lawsuits or whatever, this, that, and the other. And I think we have to get back to just sometimes telling people you want this, but no, you can't have it. Like, no, the answer yeah. is no, this is the expectation. Yeah. We're, you know, we're supporting the coach. And also I think now that I'm a father, my son could play as athletic right now as a, as an uninvolved spectator, I don't want to meddle into like, if I'm, if I'm watching a game and I see some parent stuff, I don't want to get myself into it. Cause I have no relation, yeah. but as a, I imagine myself, if I fast forward myself, and my son is, let's say my son is playing on your baseball team and I see a parent of one of my son's teammates, I feel like some of the parents need to step in and not escalate. And that's the tough part. The parents aren't trained to how to handle it, but you just want to step in and say, hey, Mike or whatever, Mike, like 
let's let's calm it down. This isn't the play. Like, just try to de-escalate them. I think parents, but I, I think you know, it's just maybe the parents are so shocked also to see yeah. that it's hard to act in that moment. We all just freeze. Yeah, I think sometimes in in, in the situations, and not just this one, but sometimes the situations after the fact, some of the parents do good. You know, uh, the ones that know these people, whether it's you know whether they're yelling at umpires or coaches or in the you know, they, they can, once it's calmed down a little bit, they can come in and, and cooler heads eventually sure, prevail. Sure. Uh, but you're right. In the moment, I think everybody's just kind of shocked. And and it takes, you know, it takes a unique person to throw themselves on a grenade or to, yeah, you know. Yeah. One of the things that I thought Coach Kilgore was really, really good at. I've seen him a couple of times at where we were situations. I remember one, it was a JV football game, I believe. And after the game, my parents were waiting on the referees. Yeah. And Coach Kilgore was like, no, no, no. And he knew the person. He called him by name. He said, no. You know? And yeah. so then he started talking to coaching. Uh, you know, Coach Kilgore was able to de-escalate that situation very quickly. So sometimes it's just having people there and prepared to deal right. with it, with things they don't want to really deal with. But it's still, that's kind of what you're there for. And they could be other coaches as well. You know, it's not just, I don't put everything on the, the the administrators or the security that are there. And then it's long-term, like I said, communication. You know, I, right. I would talk to my parents. We'd have pre-season meetings and stuff, and I would ask them, please don't yell at the umpires. You know, number one, we don't have a big pool. It's hard to get umpires. People don't want to do it already. And number two, it's usually counterproductive. Sure. Yeah, usually, you know, they're not going to start giving you the calls, if anything, you're I think it hurts the players too, coach. When I watch a very yeah. rabid group of parents, it gets their kids to start acting yeah. erratically and complaining on yeah. every call and they play worse. That's my observation. Yeah, I agree. And you know, the, the one of the great things about here, and this is not bull, I have it so great here because mm. I really love I really loved Sugarland and coaching there and the, the competition and the quality of athletes. But here, everybody's not looking for, you know, very few kids are going to go play beyond high sure. school. And the parents, you know, win or lose, it seems, you know, they're not really. And and we've been somewhat successful here. You know, we've made the playoffs both year. I've worked with the varsity. Won the first playoff game last year that we've won in six or seven years. Uh, the baseball team, as I said, went to the state championship. We had three guys going to play college ball, but for the most part, it's, we had two kids that had never hadn't played baseball in four years and came yeah. out. Yeah. And so most, most of it's more what, you know, it's just to come out and it's, it's a growing experience. It's fun. And, you know, so here it's, there's not as much of it, but you know, it can happen anywhere, you know, and like whether it's directed at coaches or whether it's directed at umpires, it, it's certainly, there's no place for it. Coach, thank you yeah. for sharing that. I know, like you said, I think a lot of times it is easier and people, even administrators may want to just deflect and avoid. And if we bury our head in the sand with this problem, it's going to just, it's like a cancer. It's going to continue to grow. So I appreciate you sharing that, that experience. I'm sorry that you had to go through something that extreme, uh, but also at least we, it gets us thinking as leaders that listen to this podcast, how we're going to address this, but we're going to end on some more fun stuff here. So far as some fun stories, you had several oiler coaches and players live in the Elkins area, which I did notice that for sure. I mean, obviously Bruce Matthews was one that everybody knew he had like his own yeah, little yeah. compound off the oil yeah. field road there. And that was really cool. But you mentioned some of them that you knew best included Kevin Gilbride, who's the offensive coordinator from 99 to 94 famously was punched <laughs> my first yes. year. Yes. 
DC and, and, Buddy Ryan, the last game of the regular season. And I actually did some homework on this because I wanted to re-educate myself because I knew he got punched. But the situation was Cody Carlson fumbled the ball at the end of the second half. And I guess Coach uh, Ryan wanted Coach Gilbride just kneel the ball. So Carlson fumbles it away. Uh, and, of course, Gilbride ran a variation of the run-and-shoot offense, which was kind of new and groundbreaking at that time. I love this. Coach Ryan called it the chuck and duck <laughs> instead of the running shoot. So I thought yeah. I thought Buddy Ryan was his ultimate hilarious hilarity there. Um, and then he said, uh, Coach Ryan said that Coach Gilbride will be selling insurance in two years. So I just didn't realize Buddy Ryan was so funny. <laughs> Those are two hilarious quotes. But can you just speak, I guess, what were some interactions with Coach Gilbride? Uh, his son played for us. Kevin Jr. played basketball for us. Oh, at, wow. at- and so uh, Wayne Howard, who was the basketball coach, and as I said at Elkins, I was a freshman basketball coach. So his freshman year, and um, so he would be at games and we would interact and, you know, all of this. I think he told us the story about that. I don't remember his side of it specifically. And so he, we, we got to know him more than you would think, you know, for, yeah. for some of the coaches that their kids went there. But I do remember that after he, you know, he also got offered the head coaching job at the University of South Carolina. Wow. And Bud Adams wouldn't let him out of his contract, or the Oilers wouldn't yeah. let him out of his yeah. contract. And then he got fired the next year. And I remember him coming in. He was came to say goodbye. Came to, you know, he's at school picking up Kevin Jr. And so he just stopped by the office. I mean, it wasn't like yeah. he's going out of his way, but yeah. and he brought us a bunch of Oiler gear. And he yeah. said, I don't need this crap anymore. Do <laughs> it on the desk. So, you know, that, that was that was kind of funny. And we had um Greg Bingham's daughter. I think she played basketball or softball. Stevie Bingham uh mm-hmm. went there. So we got to know Greg a little bit. But as I said when I was uh texting back and forth with you yesterday, my favorite was Bum Phillips. Yeah. He lived somewhere in the neighborhood and we'd always see him walking. And so one day, our principal, James Patterson, said, hey, you know, would you like to come by and say hi to the faculty? So he just came by early, you know, when we're meeting in the preschool. with our, And he just, you know, gave a little talk for about 10 minutes. But then he, he would stop by the field house every now and again. Mm. And it was just, you know, there was nothing phenomenal. He wasn't there spinning yarns. or mm. He just came by to hang out with coaches. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and it was really 100%. That was his element, whether it's in the high school field house or, or, or on the professional level. He just came by to say what's up. And, 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 you know, and it was just like this, you know, he's sitting there just, you know, how's it going? What are y'all doing? You know, we're talking about practice. And you're thinking, this is friggin' Bum Phillips. You know, yeah. this is. This is awesome, you know. He, he coached Earl Campbell. He had some of the greatest games in Oiler history, and he's just sitting here shooting the ball with us. So that that was a lot of fun, you know. Uh, and then uh, Warren Moon, I lived in the backside of First Colony, um, toward Dulles, mm-hmm. on the, on the behind Kroger side, whatever, mm-hmm. however you describe that. And Warren Moon lived in the neighborhood next to us, so my daughter babysat. Or Warren awesome. Moon a few times. Now, the, we knew Felicia a lot more than Warren. He'd come to, you know, some of the his kids' stuff. I remember he, Blair Moon was a volleyball player during my time yeah. for Elkins. Yeah. I, I do distinctly remember that. Josh Moon was his son. I think he went to Elkins as well. I believe it was. It might have been Ridge Point, but uh, they lived in Lake Olympia at the time. They they had since 
uh, moved to Lake Olympia. But yeah, my daughter babysat for Warren Moon, at, and I, I don't know that she ever met Warren, but yeah. you know, it was still, it was still Warren's house. So yeah, so he was another that we, you know, brush brush shoulders with a little bit. So that's so cool, and I, you know, I I, I do think that uh, Buddy Ryan's quotes are funny. You know, but they're also really uncalled for. And so I really do feel for Coach Gilbride to be – he's always going to be remembered for that punch when really he was yeah. just coaching, you know, and probably doing a good job of leading an innovative offense. And, yeah, I think Buddy Ryan obviously overstepped his bounds with the comments and putting his fist on somebody, obviously. So yeah. just a really strange moment in Oilers history, which has probably filled up a lot of strange moments, including the Tennessee Titans wearing the Oilers uniforms uh, in, in ultimate – pettiness move by the owner there, you, you know, know kim kim and i were out of town this past weekend so we were driving back from spokane washington and i was listening to the game yeah and i was so happy that when we pulled that week when 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 we were able to pull that game out yeah it, I, I do yeah, yeah. and for me coach I, I'm, I don't know if most people feel this way or not I, I would like to regain that intellectual property like if, if we could get rid of the Houston Texans forever and become the Houston Oilers tomorrow, I personally would take it. You know, I, yeah. I just think it's so such a cooler logo, mascot, history. I just – I love the Houston Oilers. Now, at the same time, I think that the way that Amy Adams handled all that was extremely petty. And so it did feel kind of good that, like, you tried to do that and you lose on a last-second field goal. So I get that. But I wish, I wish some way could be negotiated to bring back the Oilers to Houston. I wish the NFL would just say, like, look, give it back. It's their history, you know, but you got to live it. By the time I was coming of age, the Oilers were not the love you blue Oilers. They were a losing team all the time. Terrible fan attendance that the city had already pretty much given up on them. Um, So that's what I I remember an empty Astrodome or like on the, on the TV broadcast, you could like hear everything, you know, but you were there. You, you got to see them at their peak. So I'm, I'm I'm just curious your thoughts. If if we could buy back the Oilers, I'm sure Amy Adams would never sell it back because that's just the way that they are. Would you want the Oilers back, or, or do you like having the Texans? No, 100% Oilers back. Yeah. And I think I, I would guess that it would be higher than that 60-40 thing. I think like 90% of the people in, in Houston would 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 want that, would would, would yeah. vote for that. You know, I, I, I could yeah. be wrong, but like, you know, there's not that many. Or I guess there are, but it's not, you know, they were gone for 10 years. And then the Texans are kind of a new organization. Yep. By NFL standards, so yeah, I think that most people would be glad to get that history back and that that the you know the culture of the team. I think so too. I think that the Amy Adams move kind of like made people more proud to be Texans because we beat the yeah. oil, you know. But I think you're right. If outside of that, I think most people prefer the Oilers brand or the Texans brand. But okay, well, good but, stuff, Coach. And, and also, yeah. I think it was also better beating them in Nashville with that. That was know, cool. That, that was cool. No yeah. doubt about it. That was pretty cool. And you said you grew up an Arkansas Razorbacks fan, and you said that is hard these days. So not, yeah, a little, not quite the same as you know level of football than the old Southwest Conference days, I guess. But now you've adopted the Montana Grizzlies, and of course I'm a jersey collector as my hobby, so I've got my Grizz jersey for you. I've got yep. the Montana. Yep. We're, and they're coming to Frisco, baby. And they're going to play in- South Dakota State, which is a man. I they are good. Am I getting the letters right? FCS. They're in FCS. The- FCS championship. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Um, January the seventh or sixth or yeah. whatever whatever day of the week it is. Yeah, they had a, a really exciting game Saturday, double overtime win over North Dakota, and now they get South Dakota State, who has won like twenty seven games in a row. They're so, incredible. Challenge. 
my company, Dactronics, the you know, scoreboard company, is based out of Brookings, South Dakota, where South Dakota State is. So all of my coworkers are huge SDSU fans. So I, I like SDSU, but I like Montana too. I like both these teams. And I'm just curious for you as an outsider, what made you choose the Maroon, you know, over the Bobcats from out in Bozeman at Montana State? Location. Location, yeah, we're, closer to you. Okay. We're two hours from Missoula and five hours from Bozeman. Yep. So we can go down to – we go to – we go to – well, you you were in Kalispell, you know. It's yeah. it's you know our whole area is a hundred thousand people. That's county wide. Yeah. And so you know to to go do much shopping, we we Missoula's the closest place that of of much size. Spokane's four hours away, and it's really the closest for for a lot of things. But uh, yeah, it's just location. We can be there in two hours, and we play a lot of games in that area, whether it's football, baseball, or basketball. So it's it's just kind of in our hub, even though – and I know Texas is bigger than Montana, but Montana's a big state, and it's oh, yeah. more sparsely populated. So, you know, you spend a lot more – two hours here would be like an hour in Texas. <laughs> is there a name for that rivalry game between Montana and Montana State? Does it have like a, a nick, nickname? Yeah, Battle of the Brawl. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Brawl of the uh, Wild. Brawl of the Wild. That's right. I do want to – one day I want to get with you and maybe we can schedule to go. I'm sure the tickets are extremely expensive, but we got to get it done sometime. And I'm like you. I don't have a dog in the fight, but just from following it, I, I just also gravitated towards Montana, the Grizzlies. And also I've been to Missoula. When we went to visit y'all, we stopped in Missoula, and I did the thing where you, you climb up to the top of the mountain and look down yeah, at the stadium. And it was beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, All right, and then, of course, you're still an Astros fan. I mean, it's been a great, incredible run. But we're going to finish here, Coach. You have, you have a stadium named after you. I mean, that is just such a big deal. You're such a part of Fort Bend Austin Bulldog baseball history, and just Austin Bulldog history in general, but especially baseball. And so I always like to end the segment by allowing you to, to give flowers, so to speak, to some of your all-time greats. So if you could make a Fort Bend Austin Bulldog Mount Rushmore, so the four all-time, your four all-time Bulldogs that came through your program, who would they be? Well, first, I want to offer some apologies yeah. to your former next door neighbor, uh, Ryan Crew. Yeah. And, and Ryan Rumpel. Yeah. And uh, Jason Troth and some of the other guys that have yeah. come down through the years. Uh, you know, there's have been some, some really good ones and there's some really great ones. But if I'm doing the Mount Rushmore, it, I think it has to start with Matt Farrington. Uh, yes, you know, no doubt. Thank you. It's that's first and foremost. Uh, and then I'm going to go, and this is not in, uh, this is not in order right, that they right. play, uh, nor is it in order of where, what I think are the top four. And there's others that could be on here, but I'm going to go with Farrington, Barrett Barnes, Taylor Cobb, and Mark Haynes. Now tell me some of those years, Coach, because Mark Haynes sounds familiar. So I imagine he was a couple years after Farrington. He was probably three years after Farrington. Okay, because I do the other two. I don't. I don't recall. So can you just give a little bit of background, like what what they played and when they played, or approximate? You know? was, um, now th these are guesses. I didn't go back and look them up. I'm gonna guess Cobb graduated in 2010, 2011. Okay. He as a junior, he set a record for a school record for batting average. Wow. Uh, Hit like 600 in, in the season, not just in conference. Just a tremendous player. Uh, didn't really pitch for us. He had had some arm problems, but then he went to University of Houston and pitched. Uh, and so he was a tremendous player in high school. Was, I mean, just 
money. He played with Anthony De Jesus. If you know Anthony, Anthony was our catcher at that time. Taylor uh, played first base a lot because of his arm problems. But, man, he was the best pure hitter mm. that we had had. Barrett played um, with Ryan Dalton and that crew that we had in 2012, I'm going to okay. guess. Yep. He went to he went from Austin. Barrett went from Austin, and he was just an all around. Well, he was a sophomore when Travis opened, so you probably know that the the years there, um, right? And you know, we he was on some of our better playoff teams. He played infield for us, but when he went to Texas Tech, he was a center fielder. Played there for three years, and then he got drafted in the supplemental round between first and second round. Of, of the draft and uh, then Mark Haynes was maybe a sophomore maybe a freshman when Farrington and them graduated and he was a pitcher and he's I mean he was just dominant he ended up getting hurt his senior year uh, so he didn't finish his senior year he played part of it but he his sophomore year his junior year his sophomore year and junior year I guess he played with Jason Trott who also yeah. was in consideration for this. And so, boy, we had a great one-two punch on the mound. Yeah. But Mark was just phenomenal. He had a great uh, – well, he hit, you know, 90 miles per hour plus fastball and good off speed. But he also – and he, he had a killer changeup. And, I mean, it was just – it was just – you felt sorry sometimes for the hitters, you know, yeah. when he would throw the fastball and then come with the changeup. And he had the best move to first base that I've ever been around also. And so he went from – he went to Rice and uh, played for Coach Graham at Rice. And then he played a few years professionally, several years professionally, actually, and ended up with Skeeters. And so did Barrett. Cool. Both of them ended up with Skeeters in the last part of their career. So those four, I mean, can't go wrong. And like I said, I apologize to – some of the other guys that had some phenomenal games I had AJ Glassoff that yeah he pitched no hitter in the playoffs one year uh, and beat Avoli at, at Alvin. Yeah, you know that got a World Series ring and AJ Avoli pitched a two hitter against us and we beat them two to nothing. Wow! And, wow! <laughs> because they pitched a no hitter against Alvin. Incredible. So, yeah, and then you know Chris Sheffield went to the University of Miami. From Austin, Troth went to TCU. Um, Trevor Michael Bust was yeah. a stud. We went to college and played. So we had some great ones down through the years. But, you know, that's that's my four. Farrington, Barnes, Cobb, and Haynes. Well, let's just dig into Farrington a little bit because you didn't you didn't uh, kind of talk about what he did for the program there because he, he also was your the earliest of those four chronologically. And special significance to me because I'm from the same graduating class. So it's like, I definitely remember he, it felt like he did it all. He was on the, he was your ace, but also probably your best player all around anywhere you put him, you know? Yeah. And also I just remember it was a golden era because Elkins was just coming off their kind of state level run. Clemens had Ryan LaMotta, who was a big time ace. And I just remember yeah. those games and those moments. So can you just describe what Farrington meant to your team? Yeah. You know, and I was the assistant. Uh, right. Yeah. Yep. Hartley was head coach during the Farrington years. Um, he was a four-year starter. Yeah. And I remember, I don't remember if it was his freshman or his sophomore year. He was playing right field for us. And they had guys at first and second. And they hit a medium-depth fly ball. 
down the right field line. Farrington was in right field. He made a sliding catch at the foul line. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure because uh, Moling and I were in the dugout. And uh, so, you know, we were on the third base dugout, and this was on the first base side. So Matt made a sliding catch, and he's left-handed. So he makes a sliding catch going to his right, either in foul territory or fair. He gets up at least 100 feet, maybe 150 into foul territory, and throws the guy out at third that was tagging at second. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, that's why I looked at Molig, and I think we both said, good God, you know, and that I'm cleaning it up. I don't think that's exactly right. <laughs> I, I can still remember that specifically. Like, it, yeah. it, you know, it happened yesterday. Right. And uh, I think it was J.D. Sellers was the head coach at Kempner at the time, and he just turned around and said, you know, <laughs> you know what, right. what happened, you know. And it was just a tremendous play. And he was just that that was that was Matt in a nutshell. <clears throat> From his freshman year on, he was just a polished, like you said, he was our ace. He was our a really good hitter. We mm-hmm. had crew at the time too, who was also a tremendous player and could easily be in, in that on that rushmore. Uh wow. Ryan was Ryan was awesome. Um uh, and uh but Matt, I mean, you know, he was just a man among boys. And then he went to University of Houston yep. and played for four years uh, with Timco, uh, by the way, who you mentioned yep. earlier. And then I think he was drafted by the Padres and played, you know, a few years in the minors. Well, coach. And, yeah, he was just, you know, we'd had some good players before him with, like I just mentioned, Chris Sheffield and Troy Holt and those crews. But boy, Ryan was really good. No I doubt mean, about Matt, it. Matt, yeah. Ryan was really good too, but Matt was. Really, you know, he was he was a superstar. Man, Coach, I appreciate you taking the time to take a trip down memory lane with me today a little bit. And I know a lot of your former players are going to enjoy listening to this. If you've enjoyed it, again, take five seconds. Just hit that five-star rating. That's going to help more people find the show. Hit the follow button so you can subscribe, and you'll get a new episode as soon as they come out every other Sunday. And you can follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kobo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. Join the Team Play Revolution. Give me suggestions for future guests. DM me on Twitter with the story of a coach that made a difference in your life, and I will track them down and get them on the show. Or if you prefer email, you can hit us up at teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com. As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast is provided by two of my former players. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr, and our intro and exit music is One More Good Enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. Coach Randy Ursery, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, James. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. Yes, sir. Thank you to all the team players out there for your support, and we'll catch you all down the road. And I always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but you be told I need some therapy, initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a leg
legacy. 